Excuse me. Russo. You talk? Uh, yeah. Yeah, hang on. Heard you got a new client, huh? Business must be good. If I believed everything I read, that's all down to you. Wouldn't put too much faith in that. Hope you're calling because you're reconsidering my offer. It still stands. There's a lot of heat on you, brother. We gotta get you out of this city. Give me 12 hours, I can have you anywhere you wanna be. Lewis Wilson. He's coming after Ori. He's got no intentions of letting him make that speech. Okay. And how would you know about something like that? Told me as much. What is it with you and this kid? We have unfinished business. Yeah, well, we know how you feel about that. Kid's got delusions of grandeur. You gotta get the senator out of there, but tell no one. Make sure you keep the appearance that he's still in that hotel suite. You set the trap. I'll spring it. You're here. Frank, this is my work. I can't just... Listen. Tell me where you are. Meet me. We can do this together. Look. You just keep your team out of my way. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're on Panels to Pixels, and you're listening to our continuing saga of watching The Punisher Season 2 on Netflix. Uh, tonight's episode we're discussing is Episode 10, which is Virtues of Vicious. Uh, not only do I have myself, but I have Avelina Urshino, and I have Steve Brown yet again. So uh, all three of us are going to be talking about this episode uh, we all have great views of this. Uh, we have great insight of what's going on. I think Avelino and Steve have a lot to say. So, Steve, do you want to start us off with a little brief? And uh, sure. Av, do you want to take off uh, the second part of it? Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll I'll kick it off with a little bit of a, a, a kind of a disclaimer to start with. You know, the last episode brought all of our characters together for the first time like I, I think last episode was the first time we had everybody in one episode and we suddenly get all the the storylines kind of merging and then and then we have this episode that's that's told in a very non-linear non-chronological way and uh i've not i don't i'm not usually a big fan of that type of storytelling but i think it works in this in this episode yeah i i totally agree the the episode was, when you watch it cold for the first time, actually, here, here was my reaction. When I watched it cold for the first time, I almost had to double-check that I was watching the correct episode in the correct chronological order because I thought that either I jumped ahead too far or, or, or whatever because the beginning, maybe even the first 15, 20 minutes just didn't seem to make sense as opposed to where they left off in the last episode. But then once you get into the storytelling and the format and everything like that, you just are amazed at how well they pulled it off, in, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. Uh, I thought it kind of reminded me a little bit of Reservoir Dogs where everything was out of sequence. 
Yes, yes. And, That's, and at a certain point, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I have to admit, Abel, you know, I had the same thing the very first time I watched this episode. I, I think I stopped it at the beginning and went back and went, did I miss yeah. something somewhere? <laughs> yes. did I, uh, because we open with Lewis just murdering this guy who we have no clue who he is. We don't know anything about him. Um, Correct. And then we have Russo being interviewed by a detective in this apartment where obviously something bad has happened. Yeah. And then we get to see the story unfold from the different points of view over the last six hours. Correct. Correct. Exactly. And the it was a brilliant style because, like you mentioned, Mark, it was Reservoir Dogs, so Tarant- classic Tarantino, you know, going forward, going backward, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But also uh, classic, um, you know, Rashomon by Kira Kurosawa, where you had different points of view and slightly different takes or different rem- memories of the action, um, just like that, you know, the, that classic samurai movie. Oh, and, yeah, and it 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 made for a really interesting, you know, take on the, um, you know, on the way the action unfolded, and gave you a little bit of insight into each of the characters and their own points of view. Yeah, that was that was that was a really brilliant story storytelling. I thought it's it's edited very very well. I've I've yeah. shared with Mark before. There's some of these episodes that I think the editing is just brilliant, and then there's a yeah. couple of the episodes where I go, huh? <laughs> so uh, this was one where they pulled off the editing very well. Yes, yes. <laughs> what do we want to get straight into our top five then? Sure. Uh, do you want to start it? Uh, let's let Avalino start. Okay. Oh, okay, great. Okay. Well, my number five, and I want to give a, a real huge thumbs up, is to Lewis, you know, the character Lewis and, you know, that, that lost uh, tragic character. He who's played by the actor Daniel Weber. And have you guys seen any of his other um, roles, Daniel Weber's other roles? No. I Not I, that I can oh, – sorry. The, no, no, the face seems very familiar to me, but I, I can't really recall anything. Yeah, because he doesn't have, you know, that classic leading man, you know, type of looks or anything like that. But he was in um, that uh, series on um, Hulu called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. It was um, an adaptation of a Stephen King novel where the protagonist discovers a portal back into the past where he can go back into the past and change events. And um, uh, and the only way, let's see now, basically uh, he can then make those changes permanent by um, uh, by then going back in the portal to the future. Um, but every time he goes back in the past, the past resets and, and, you know, the timeline resets and everything like that. Anyhow, um, the, uh, when the protagonist goes back into the past, he has a chance to save John F. Kennedy and he has to decide whether he has to do that or not. But one of the people that he meets in the past is Lee Harvey Oswald. And so Lee Harvey Oswald was portrayed by Daniel Weber and um, in that show, he, the the character was similar in the fact that it was a, um, 
a veteran who had a lot of angst, a lot of, you know, felt a little bit betrayed by the system, that kind of stuff. And both in The Punisher and in um, in uh, 112263, um, Daniel Weber just pulled off that brilliantly. Just, you know, he just, you can feel his, his um, uh, how should I say, his, his being lost in today's society and um, just that bubbling anger, you know, and, and the fact that he's a really competent soldier, too. I mean, more than competent. You know, he took, he took out all those people. He planned that raid and everything like that in, in, in this episode. And, yeah, the, um, Daniel Weber's um, uh, performance was brilliant, I thought. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Uh, my number five is very short. Uh, no Curtis. I guess he's recovering from his, his wounds or, uh, you know, we just we don't get to see him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, what do you think the time frame was from this episode versus the last couple episodes? Is it right away, you think, or Might have was been it? It, it had to be, there had to be some time, I would think, because, and I have it in my notes, the newspaper has figured out that Lewis is the bomber. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, because the very first scene shows him walking down the corridor with the newspaper, showing his face with Frank, and they're thinking that they're working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows Lewis. And I'm like, how did they know? And the only thing I could think of is that it, it was off-screen, Curtis told the police when they when they rescued him from you know, having the explosives strapped to him, mm. or just the fact that that if Frank and Curtis were able to recognize Lewis's voice on the radio, maybe other people recognized his voice on the radio, and so that the the police figured out who he was and and got him. But yeah, there there has to be a couple of days because he's also gathered a lot of equipment. Mm. Yeah, he's got a silenced pistol. He's got these explosives um and he's figured out where the uh the senator is going to be he's he's really done what frank kind of told him to do in the last episode when frank said well you're a bomber i i go face to face with my enemies mm-hmm. yeah. and so it almost seems like he took that to heart and went okay i'll go face to face with my and and that's what yeah. he's done in this and we so that's that's uh, kind of what I thought is, is it has to be at least a few days. Mm, okay. Definitely, uh, <clears throat> it looked like Lewis was trying to make an a, uh, a point, uh, not to mm. prove to Frank, but to get what he needs to say and make a point by taking out the senator. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know he he went to those extremes, but uh, it also comes from I think his background from being in the military. And surveillance, just like how Frank is, and Frank already knew how to pinpoint and pick out, like, in the very beginning, he figured out who Micro was, <laughs> he grabbed him and everything else, uh, yeah. and, and brought him in, and uh, they're adept at trying to get all that information out of people, maybe it's from <laughs> their training. Maybe, and, and, you know, we don't know, we don't get to see Lewis's actual his combat experience, maybe he was uh, like a, uh, an explosive ordnance disposal tech. And that's why he knew all the stuff about the, I mean, we know why Frank has his training. He's like super special forces, Marine yeah. force recon guy. We yeah. don't know what Lewis's background is. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, whatever it was, it was evident 
at his level of competency that, um, you know, he was able to plan that operation, uh, you know, infiltrate, uh, just get past, you know, all those guards, all the, um, you know, all of the employees and, oh, yeah. uh, just, you know, enter a room hot like that. It was just, yeah, it was incredible. He, yeah, he, um, I, I presume that he must have had some sort of really high level of training if they were even considering him for employment in the first place, I guess. Um, then they discovered he was crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he couldn't be uh, too crazy. He was able to figure all that stuff out and uh, coordinate it and make it all work. Uh, yeah. Like Frank, get his getaway. <laughs> Frank's getaway. I love that. I, I love that line yeah. at the end where Karen Page looks at the police officer and says, do you really think Frank Castle is the kind of man who goes into a building not knowing how he's going to get out? Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was a really cool line. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what was your number five, Mark? Uh, well, you know, basically, uh, Lewis's intro, uh, the whole surveilling of the actual rooms, setting everything up. Uh, you saw what he did with the door. Uh, he was in another room, it, it seemed like, not the original room. I see the two yeah. birds. I can't recall if the two birds were in the same room, though, with the senator. Yeah. No, no, the two birds were in the were in the apartment with the guy he kills at the beginning. Oh, okay. And and, and that yeah. was a weird scene as well, kind of. I, I almost expected him to either get get mad at the birds for not wanting to fly out, and it kind of surprised me when he just kind of went, eh, oh, yeah. well, and just well, kind of left. What do you think the significance was of, you know, him opening up the cage and the birds just, like, you know, just sitting there? I mean, was that supposed to be anything significant or anything symbolic do you think or uh setting a bird free maybe <laughs> well, create uh some sort of chaos in the room for whoever shows up hey my birds are out and then they have to flee to some well no it was more like he was trying to release them i think he was trying to release them he yeah was, i think so too yeah he didn't know obviously he doesn't know how long the guy's going to be there the dead body's going to be there but he uh i think he really was trying to release them Hmm. to set them free and i don't know i don't know if there's any kind of bigger picture significance of the fact that they didn't want to leave their cage but hmm. that's a that's a thing that happens with birds isn't it that some of them i don't know because my grandmother had a, free. It, my, yeah my grandmother had a parakeet and every time that door that stupid thing would get out and fly all over the room so like it didn't it didn't take but a second of that door being open that it was out so yeah <laughs> Yeah, my my brother had a parrot in it, and he used to do that same thing. The parrot would just get out and go crazy, and uh, would mimic everybody and say all the words, and you know, <laughs> put him away, put put her away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I my thought it was uh, some sort of symbolism. Uh, but you know, maybe he was trying to set it free. Maybe it was a portion of his humanity. Could be, you know. Who knows? Or maybe, maybe you know, what he was trying to do with his actions against the senator was to send a message to, um, you know, to the sheep, you know, the common folk, you know, trying to wake them up or trying to shake them loose, you know, trying to 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 get them to do something. And but most people are just willing to just sit in their cage, and you know, if if they're comfortable and if they're well fed and if they're well uh, sheltered, you know. They they don't want to be free, and maybe that's kind of symbolic of, you know, his his actions, and then what most people would probably re react to their reaction would be, you know, like 
why are you trying to shake the tree? Why are you, you know, uh, uh, trying to, to, you know, ruin a good thing? Um, that's possible. I don't know. Oh, good point. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So number four? Number four, yeah. Uh, who wants to go first? Um, I guess I'll I'll go with the same sequence. Um, yeah, my number four was, this was an, a really cool episode. So, um, Steve, you mentioned last week was the first time we saw all the characters all at once. This week, was, we didn't see all the characters. We, we didn't see Linus there and Curtis weren't there either. But the major the major storylines between, um, uh, you know, you had Lewis and you had um, uh, uh, Karen. Bi- uh, Karen and Bi- and um, Billy and uh, right. Madani um, as well. Mm-hmm. Those major storylines are all converged into like one explosion um, where finally everyone's, you know, betrayal was revealed everyone's everyone knew where everyone else stood i thought and um so this was a kind of a beautiful terminus of all that um and the it's amazing we had you know nine episodes of setup we had plenty of action in those nine episodes but we had nine episodes of setup that just led to this you know i, I thought um i thought this was in my opinion the best um episode so far and uh it was just brilliant how they made everything converge because in the in the past you know of course you saw madani she was after the punisher but and she didn't really know she knew something was up with um the the upper command and and that there might be a mall or or some sort of betrayal or something like that but you didn't really know like you know okay what what did um she have to do with um lewis and 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 you saw lewis and the punisher converge you know in the last episode but you still kind of wondered like you know with lewis's anger and everything like that what does he have to do with the story and um we saw all that now in episode 10 where it just all converged and where Lewis's actions really brought forth and brought to light the truth behind, you know, um, Billy and, 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 and exposed Billy to Madani and exposed Billy to, to Frank Castle as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch mine up a little bit since you brought up Madonna because uh, she was one of mine one of mine further, one of mine further down. Um, but you're you're I love that character because what I realized this week with this episode is she is very much um, a cop, like yeah. the, the the traditional TV show movie cop. She she sees everything in black and white. It's yep. there's there's no gray area with her. All she sees is the fact that her asset was killed and now she knows who the killer is and she wants to get him. Yeah. And I, I don't think she realizes that Frank is the one that actually pulled the trigger. Um she still thinks maybe Rollins pulled the trigger. Um but she she really sees that's all she in fact she calls Rollins a, a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Because and when when she tells her boss who he is and her boss says, wait, that's the chief covert operations and she's like no he's just a scumbag murderer mm-hmm. in her eyes that's all that's all that's all he is um and then she she assesses she shows us her detective skills again in yeah. the in the uh the hotel room 
when yeah. she knows exactly what happened by the blood splatter and, and the bodies and what what is there. And the other detective is kind of like, well, obviously this happened. And she's like, no, that's not obviously what what happened. And yeah. uh, so I really liked that. Um, that stairwell scene between her and, and Billy was was great, where she realizes that he killed her partner. Um, and I love that uh, that walkaway line she has. Where earlier the detective had told her, "You're still here because I haven't let you leave." And then he says to her, "Well, I haven't I haven't dismissed you yet, or something like that." And she says, "Well, I'm going to go anyway." Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? In, in that stairwell, too, she realized two things. She realized number one that Frank Castle was not the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't the bad guy, and she realized that that uh, Russo was. You know, yeah. and that was. Um, you know, uh, that was almost nice symbolism of the stairway between the descending and ascending, and that, yeah, she was able to, you know, finally understand that and, and turn away from Frank, and, you know, she she would have let him go if the cops hadn't come, but, uh, yeah, she, uh, it was, that, that was really cool, you know, kind of uh, symbolism there in the stairway. Yeah. Well, Mark, what was your number four? Uh, yeah, my number four. Ah. <clears throat> my number four was uh, Karen and Frank working during the bomb. That whole thing with Lewis and Lewis attaching, you know, had that bomb around him. And uh, her trust in Frank and trying to figure out what wire was the wire to pull uh, <clears throat> to, uh, you know, stop the bomb. So if he does hit that switch and uh him you know constantly talking to lewis and at the same time giving karen like these good like these looks and these yes no kind of looks yeah what what to pull and what not to pull it was a lot of trust between karen and frank Mm -hmm. and then on top of that frank having to work and deal with uh what lewis was going through and him trying to see through his own mind, uh, go, how did this kid get that way? And did I push him that way? And you can see everything's going on in Frank's mind at that point. Uh, yeah. But, you know, mostly it was for the part of the trust between Karen and Frank of he he's giving her that look, I'm going to get you out of this and we're going to get out of this. And who knows what's going to happen to Lewis at this point. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Yeah, I really like that. In fact, I had it down uh, later in the, a question or kind of a question or a statement about did he see her put the, the guard's gun into her purse or did he just think she had her gun? Hmm, because <laughs> remember there's that whole discussion with the detective where the detective says, well, he took you hostage with your own gun. And she's like, technically, it wasn't my gun. And I went back and rewatched the scene. And sure enough, she pulls one of the guns from the floor in the in the hotel and puts it in her purse and so i don't know if frank just assumed she had the gun from daredevil or if he had actually seen her put that gun in in her purse so uh either way he trusted that she had a firearm in there and she was going to be able to distract lewis and and Mm -hmm. that whole thing with the white wire and the the like, you know other movies red. yeah yeah other movies have 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 said that bombers i think it was the uh uh it was the speed the one with keanu reeves where they talked about mm-hmm. bombers mm-hmm. and they said normally bombers are very meticulous or very monogamous they they do the same thing 
all the time mm-hmm. with their bombs. So if that's the case, then that's why Frank knew, hey, if you pull that white wire, that's gonna that's gonna disconnect. Yeah, the, the thing. So yeah, I really like that. All right, cool. What was your forward yeah. number, Steve? Uh, number four, um, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Um, where was I at? I totally. I think just I'm, we went right into that because with Karen um, uh, pulling the white wire. Um, that trust that she has between uh, her and Frank, um, that her understanding what he wanted her to do, I think mm-hmm. was was really good. That whole, and then in the elevator, there's almost a moment. And, and Mark, you and I have discussed this, and I've gone back and forth on it, whether it's a romantic thing or just a loyalty <laughs> thing between them. But it really seemed like there was a moment in that elevator when it went deeper than oh yeah oh than yeah just yeah. it was definitely family whether whether it's romantic or not but it's definitely family like he said in uh, the last episode of the episode before I can't remember when he said Karen's family yeah and you really saw that in the elevator and they they did those scenes so well. Um, mm. Especially, I just love the fact they get into the elevator, and the first thing he does when the doors close is he hands her back the gun. Yeah, yeah. like he doesn't like it doesn't even it doesn't even occur to him that she's going to do anything weird yeah, with man. that gun. Uh, yeah. And then he's got quite a vertical that uh, he's yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> open with, that elevator lid and then jump up and grab it with, with a hand. dislocated shoulder to yeah, watch. Yeah. Was, <laughs> and, and a wound. That's pretty good vertical. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> The, I, I really like the evolution of Karen's character. I mean, um, I've watched Daredevil seasons one and two, and now The Punisher, and you know she's been a major character in all three seasons. And um, she's turned into a real, you know, hero. Like, like you know, she's she's now transcended beyond just the damsel in distress and everything like that. Like what she did in the suite with the senator and protecting the senator, telling, you know, um, uh, telling Lewis not to shoot him and everything like that. And then, you know, having the wherewithal to help the Punisher take down Lewis, that, that was incredible. And she, she thought clearly, you know, she was valiant, you know, courageous. And yeah, her, she she's really come a long way from kind of like that scared little girl who needed a a job, you know, from uh, you know Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and to 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 where she is now. I mean, she could almost be like you know the the Punisher's protege if she really trained or something like that. You know, she has okay. a, she seems to have that mindset. So. Uh, I agree. Uh, actually, you know, my thought about Karen was that she went from somebody who was a victim. Yeah, because, uh, she had a lot of problems before Matt even came to her. I, I, I can't remember. Uh, I'm probably thinking wrong, but um, wasn't she into drugs and everything else? And then she just kind of got clean and had some issues. Yeah, I remember that it was either drugs or maybe she was alcoholic. I can't remember, but I remember that she did seem to have issues before she joined up with with Matt Murdock. Um, but she, she definitely wasn't the strong character she is now. Let's, let's put it that Oh, way. for sure. She's, she's definitely improved and grown from that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the evolution of Karen page is actually very good. Very much like other characters within the Netflix series. <clears throat> Jessica Jones has one. in mm. her assistant. And, uh, Luke Cage ah. has 
uh, a couple, and he's lost a few in the, in the process. And mm-hmm. then uh, you got Danny Rand, who has his own that you know uh, he needed help from. So I, yeah. I think they're trying to show that they're trying to build up some sort of family. And to go back with what Steve was saying about that whole elevator scene, there was a point where you thought, oh, they're going to kiss. And yeah. they didn't. They, it, it was one of those, it was more of a mutual understanding and affection towards one another before yeah. he had to jump up vertically, which is very hard for <laughs> yeah. anybody who's wounded and on top of that with a dislocated <laughs> shoulder. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah I, I, I do agree. Uh, there, there's a lot going in there, but you know, this, this is a comic book turned into a TV show, and yeah, you, know, you got to suspend all your disbelief at certain points and mm-hmm. just enjoy what's there and have fun yeah. with the character and what what they're portraying. But there is some truth to a lot what's going on, symbolism and the real world that what's going on that we're facing. Uh, that's I think that's all that's what's attracting to us to this and these characters and showing strength in a lot of these people and then showing some of the weaknesses. And I think that's what Lewis's character was, is the weakness. And then you got uh, you got Frank. And then uh, of all people, we didn't see this episode was micro. Uh, right. We didn't yeah. see micro either. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, but on top of that, you, you're starting to see people come together for a common reason. Uh, mm-hmm. but also them trying to stop <clears throat> the bad or the big bad as it were. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, that's the whole point why we watch this because we want to see something good come out of something bad. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, I have no idea where we are. Um, <laughs> I think we're at number three, three now. Number three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Avelino. Oh, okay. Yeah. Number three. Um, I guess my number three is going to be uh, Billy Russo himself. Um, the this is finally the episode where he's totally unmasked to everyone. You know, his friends. You know, Madani, his lover, ex-lover. I guess at this point, um, you know, Frank Castle, who was you know Frank trusted this guy. Frank, you know, this guy was as much of a family as his family that got killed, and. I can only imagine now, you know, as Frank was ziplining off of the roof, you know, just the emotions that he had to go through and kind of digest at that point. Um, I'm sure he, yeah, well, I, I don't know if, if a guy like him would be in shock after a firefight like that, but, you know, whatever he needed to recover from the physicality of that, you know, that encounter, now to then digest that, um, you know, Russo is out for him. I don't know at this point um, if he's pieced together, um, you know, what Russo is with this whole conspiracy, but he now knows that Russo is out to get him, you know, that Russo wants him dead. Um, he said as, uh, Russo said as much to Madani at that stairwell. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, Billy Russo is totally unmasked. Um, but what's cool about his... Uh, I, I thought that um, Ben Barnes did an awesome job with the nuance of Billy Russo because he is... He's this character that actually in the first, whatever, three or four episodes, I had absolutely no clue what his role was as far as, you know, being a bad guy, you know. Um, I didn't think, I thought that he was a good friend. You know, like, you know, there was that kind of thing in the back of your mind saying like, oh, this guy's, 
almost too good to be true. He's really <laughs> handsome, you know, and very charismatic. But, like, yeah, the first three or four episodes, I remember, like, being like, oh, yeah, this guy's a good friend as much as, you know, um, uh, as, as much as, you know, the other guys are in, in his unit. And, um, and uh, so I, it really kind of, pretty much blindsided me when I discovered his his role in, in the whole conspiracy. But um, this, yeah, this was a, a, a great um, climax to that because, yeah, he's finally unmasked now. You know, he's, um, but all throughout the episode, you saw just how smooth of an operator he was. You know, he, he's dressed in a beautiful suit. You know, his hair is perfect, you know, and he's, he's, he's an excellent commander. You know, he, he really, you know, he cares for his men, you know, as far as a tactician goes, he, you know, he cares for his men until I guess they become assets, but, you know, he knows how to run an op. He knows how to run surveillance protection, stuff like that. You know, he can, um, he can talk with the best of them on a, on political terms, you know, like he, how he handled the detective, um, you know, he, he was able to, you know, kind of fence with him and, you know, he had Madani fooled, he had Frank Castle fooled and, uh, to pull off that kind of a villainy where he's the main betrayer without going into comic book, you know, mustache twirling, you know, villain <laughs> that you typically see the, that was really, that was really cool. And, and Ben Barnes just hit it out of the park. So yeah, I, I really love the character of Billy Russo. I thought that he's uh he, 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 he's an excellent, very nuanced, you know, um, Jekyll and Hyde type of villain. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And I'll, I'll piggyback right on that with mine because um, with my next one, because I had a little note about Russo, and uh, I, as you were talking, I got to think even more. You know, the way he turned it around on the the detective when the detective said, "Well, you failed," and he said, "No, our mission was to keep the senator alive. The yeah. senator's alive. We yeah. actually, we actually, you know, we we prevailed, but I lost men. I've got to right. go make four phone calls, or however many he said he's got to he's got to go call, and and so we, to see that." When we know that he's a sociopath, so we know that's all just put on. Yeah. Um, of course, the detective doesn't know that. But um, and I, I made a note of something that I thought was interesting is that he had females involved in this particular operation. Yeah. You see yeah. that in the hallway there, and um, as soon as Lewis is in the elevator with with Karen Page, they yeah. turned immediately on Frank. Like there was yeah. no. There was no question in their mind. There was no hesitation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Frank was 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 part of this, even though Lewis has just walked out with. It, it was a, a weird kind of scene to me to think, and it it made me wonder if, like you said, maybe they had been told, "Hey, if Frank Castle shows up, he's a dead man. You got to kill him." Yeah. So yeah. I wonder if that was uh, the rule, or um, that was kind of my next one is just that that idea of that he had females and him himself what he does in this episode as far as just he crosses the line with madani when he shoots at frank mm-hmm. and then he puts his his gun on her and they're they're having this kind of standoff and she realizes and he she realizes that that he killed stein and frank realizes that he had something to do with what was going on overseas because he says we did what we had to do Mm-hmm. or something to that effect and that's what 
what set off Frank to go, what did you do? What did you do? And so suddenly the wheels were turning in Frank's mind, and he, he realizes that Russo's been involved in this from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And he's been playing both sides, that he was Frank's friend and he was with this Agent Rollins or Agent you, Orange, you know. Do you think um, if the cops hadn't have come, and I know that Madani and Russo were in a standoff, but do you think he would have killed Madani at that situation, given the chance, um, along with Frank Castle? He might have tried. I think yeah. so too. I think he would have tried, definitely. Yeah. I could I could see him like I could see him shooting Madani like if she's wearing a bullet if he knows she's wearing like a vest, like a vest like Frank had. Yeah. Maybe he shoots her in the vest, not really trying to kill her, and then tries to kill Frank. I don't know if he would have been able to accomplish both those feats. Mm. Um I don't know if, if you know, Frank could have he, – he might have shot Madani and Frank could have grabbed Madani's gun and then shot him. Um, did Frank still have his gun at that point or had he put it away? I think he, he holstered it. He, he might have holstered He He had it with him, it seemed, yeah. but uh, She kept telling him to drop it and he kept – he was holding on to it while they were talking. And then when he says, I'm going to walk past you now – and that's when Russo comes in, and and I'm assuming at that time he must have holstered his, yeah. so he still had a a, a, a gun. Yeah, definitely. Wow. And that was your number three. I uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost track at this point. I've uh, used up all but one of mine, but I've got some other notes that I can throw in here. So what's your number three, though, Mark? I think we're at your number three. Uh, my number three would be uh, Madani and Billy. Uh, they had that conversation, and with you saying how definitely Billy would have shot her, her bringing up the fact that she, her realizing that Billy actually killed Stein, um, you know, during that attack, she mm. she kind of pointed it out, and her realization, and him denying it completely, constantly mm-hmm. was really terrible. Uh, yeah, they. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You had a. Oh no, I was going to say because that I had I had something because I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. That conversation they have when she has all the folders exactly. and she's showing him all the Anvil guys and, but that's earlier in the episode and then later on, you know, like you're saying, she puts it together in her head that he was actually there. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Billy would just see her as collateral damage and just get rid of her. Uh, you know, even though at one point, you know, you and I had this uh, talk from previous episodes about how it's like uh, he was trying to get close to her and she was <laughs> shucking him off and he, he started to I, I think in the deep darks of his mind started realizing, <laughs> oh darn uh, I'm not going to get anywhere with this person and he he's seeing it as business and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised and put it past him that mm-hmm. he would think, all right, I, I could dispatch her and that's it. I don't need this. Uh, I'm just util- utilizing her as a tool to get the information I need and yeah. to get where I need to get with uh, Frank and the investigation that's going on. So yeah. that that and, uh, and the fact that she brings it up that they were uh, a lot of Billy's team were former and then he treats it almost like a business, like, oh, we don't keep track of those people. We yeah. hire them in, and that's it. Uh, it. It it starts to open her eyes of who he really is. 
he's trying to be business but doing the business that he wants to do and not care about who works for him or what's going on. And well, it, on top of that, you yeah. had Lewis who worked for him, and he's the one that's doing all this. Yeah. And she, she, I think she also came to realize at that moment, too, that she knows that all of these guys are just assets to him. You know, like, it, like for example, I, I guess, you know, a good employer or a good commander would have said at the very least, it's like, oh, damn, you know, I, yeah, I hired these guys. I can't believe that they, you know, got, you know, embroiled in whatever and, and you know, they were running with the wrong guys. You know, that, that really sucks, you know. I mean, these are people that he's paid and he's trained and he's... um Mm-hmm. you know, commanded in, in probably tough situations. And to her, you know, all he says is like, oh, well, you know, we hired these guys, and yeah, it's, it's too bad, you know. <laughs> too bad they're dead, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and so she probably starts, in her mind, especially since she is a pretty sharp detective, she's probably thinking to herself, like, you know, well, that's probably what he thinks about me, too, you know. It's like, you know, use me, you know, and then as soon as the asset is no longer necessary, just, you know, toss me aside or even kill me. You know? Yeah, and, and I, I just thought about that as you were saying that, 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 you know, with her detective mind, she probably put it together that yeah. if he was there, if he was leading that operation, that means he killed at least, what was it, two or three of his oh own men? God. Yeah. Yeah, of his own men, and then he killed Stein. Oh, right, you know? yeah. Um, I know he definitely killed that the one guy that was in the stairwell. He just shot him, and then I think, yeah, I think at least he killed at least two oh, of his right. own of his own men. So, so she's suddenly starting to realize who he is. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're at number twos. Yes. Number twos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, shall I go or go ahead? Okay. So yeah, my number two, I want to talk about the story structure. So we, we, we touched upon this in the beginning, but this probably deserves a revisit. I mean, this was a brilliant story structure. You know, the the fact that, you know, we're opening up with first um, uh, Lewis going in and, and shooting that employee and, and taking his uh, credentials and his clothing, things like that. And then we jump ahead to um, uh, Russo being interviewed by the detective, you know, in a blood-splattered room, you know, probably still, you can still smell the gunpowder and things like that. And then back and forth, you know, uh, Russo's preparation and then, you know, Karen, Karen's, you know, going up to, up the elevator to meet the senator and then their subsequent, um, uh, the subsequent, uh, you know, interview. The, the back and forth, you know, like I said, the uh, Tarantino-esque, you know, type of storytelling and also the Rashomon type of storytelling of, you know, the different points of view. That was, that was really excellent. And, um, what was what the the culmination of it was when again we were created to that back and forth and then we finally settle in on page and senator ori you know just talking being interviewed and all of a sudden an explosion and in runs lewis you know i remember i i almost i basically jumped when i when that scene happened because i was kind of lulled into i don't know what um uh, it's almost like a calm, you know, you're, you're so used to, you know, exposition, exposition set up. And then finally, maybe in the last third, you know, the big action, but right. that, that action sequence just bounced right at you. And that explosion was so, 
um, visceral and, and so loud. You almost felt like you were in there. And, uh, the, yeah, that, this was great editing. And then finally, I, I guess by the end, maybe by the last third of the, sh- the, the show, um, it kind of settled back into a very linear type of storytelling once everything converged, especially after the, the, um, the, the fact that Russo was the betrayer. Um, yeah, everything became much more linear after that. But before that, it was, it was a really great layered story that you just kind of start peeling away, peeling away, peeling away to really get at the plot. And yeah, uh, yeah that was brilliant. Yeah, and like you pointed out at the beginning, it, we the very first scene when we see that explosion, we are seeing we are seeing it actually from the senators, from the detective telling Karen what the senators um account of it was. And mm. in his account, you have Lewis coming in with wearing a ma- a gas mask kind of thing and the uh, Frank coming in behind him yeah. like they're like they're together with yep. no mask on and that that when I first saw it, I went Huh? Why is the yeah. Punisher walking in? Why doesn't he just shoot him if he's that yeah. close? And um, then, of course, we then we cut back to Karen, and she laughs, and she says, oh, is that what, what he said? <laughs> yeah, he runs goes, out going, like, <laughs> yeah. I'll get help. <laughs> I'll get help, yeah. And, you know, and, then he, and he gives, his part of the story is he picked up the gun and tried to sh- shoot it, but it, it was empty or, or whatever, and, and then he runs out, I'll get help. And uh, she says uh, – uh, that's what he said because remember, there's another part where the senator says, "I'd never held a gun in my hand before," yeah. or, or something like that. And uh, so Karen kind of laughs and, and says, "That's what he said." And then then we get her account of it from the same from the same moment, and we, we realize that they didn't come in at the same time. It was close, but Lewis had already killed a couple of the the guards by the time Frank got in there, and then that it's actually Frank who takes a bullet in his vest yeah you know he jumps in front of the senator to save the senator's life and say, well to save karen's life really i think he didn't care about the senator but yeah. Uh, yeah and then and then when you realize that everything that happened in the stairwell between russo the punisher madani and those cops that all happened while lewis and page are going down in the elevator because remember right after that frank breaks away and he runs downstairs and that's when he meets back up with Karen and Lewis in the okay. basement or the uh, the kitchen, whatever that that area was that they were in. Uh, it mm. looked like the kitchen. Yeah. All right. Um, for my number two, um, I think I'm going to go with the makeup. If you and I don't know how they filmed this, I would assume they had to fill it film it in order, but they would still have to go back and refilm scenes. and And this is the benefit. Mark and I talked a little bit about this. I don't know if you're able to include it in the, the podcast from last week or not. We talked a little bit about this. This is because they finish a whole season before they actually put it out. They can do things like this to where they'll shoot scenes and if they have to come back and reshoot other scenes. But if you watch the makeup throughout it, you can see where it changes, where, where she's got the cuts on her face from the, the bomb blast that we see. And then we don't see those through the whole episode and we keep and I kept wondering uh, at least the last time I watched I go, when did she get those cuts cuz mm-hmm. you know she's being interviewed by the detective and she's got these cuts on her face mm-hmm. and we don't know what those are from and then and she's got the red eyes from the smoke of the explosion we don't know what all that's from and then then we see Frank and he's got the red eyes from uh the other the other explosions and it's just a, I just thought the makeup was done really well 
in the different ways that they filmed filmed it, I guess. Yeah, they definitely have continuity down as yeah. far as, you know, it's like other shows don't really do that. Like, uh, uh, we're not going to talk about TWD right now, but uh, I'm just saying <laughs> but there are certain continuity <laughs> issues in those. But um, needless to say, they have it down. Um, Netflix seems to be narrowing that down whenever they si- film all these seasons, even in Jessica Jones or even in Luke Cage. Uh, you actually do see those in those episodes because they mm-hmm. do have to go back and reshoot. So you know there's somebody that's tallying all these all this information. Now, if mm-hmm. you look at the credits at the end, there's a ton yeah. of credits for Netflix, if you ever yeah. noticed, and it's multiple languages and multiple people. So, uh, you know, it's a great, you know, nod to them saying, hey, thank you for doing that because uh, it's almost filmed like a consecutive movie. Mm-hmm. And now, mind you, they do have various directors. Um, Brian Malosh likes to uh, pinpoint the writer, the director, and all those things. I, I tend not to, but honestly, it's it's a hats off to them uh, overall as a company for doing that. Uh, they're doing these shows consecutively like i stated like a movie and you could sit there in one full viewing in one day if you start in the very early morning and go to the late mm-hmm. at night you could actually watch the whole season if you really wanted to mm-hmm. uh i've i i kind of space it out i usually do it over the course of two days but that's yeah. just me <laughs> <laughs> um what was your number two mark uh my number two uh would be Karen's comeback starring her investigation at the when they were uh, interrogating her about the situation what happened at the very end. Now, mind you, we got the very beginning of the episode, and it starts off with that interview and then uh, getting her uh, information from the investigator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they talk about a bunch of things uh, being asked uh, why she had a gun. And uh, she brings up, like, well, he goes, well, why would you need a gun when there are people out there in this world to protect you? (laughs) Yeah. And then she has a quick comeback saying, well, obviously, I don't feel protected. So, you know, but not that saying that, you know, I think it comes up about it not being her gun, but she has a gun. Yeah. Uh, No, she at the beginning when she comes up to the to the suite, there's this whole discussion between her and or her and Billy, um, and he says something about you're a reporter who's interviewing an anti-gun senator, and you have a concealed carry license. Yeah, and, and she says she says, well, yeah, you are. This senator is anti-gun, but now he's surrounded by all these people with guns to exactly. protect him. Yeah. So it's it's exactly. a it's a good it's a good little exchange back and forth, and. Uh, uh, I know my feelings on it, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I carry every day, so that's that. I I can't I, I can't really blame well, anybody right. who wants to protect themselves. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, so that's but, good. Yeah, I like that. And also the fact that you know, at the very end, she's saying that Frank is a hero, as whereas before they were looking at him as pretty much the enemy, and yep. and her pointing out about Lewis and. Her, him protecting everybody mm-hmm. from Lewis in the yeah. end. Uh, 
you know, there was a lot of dialogue in there, but if you actually sit there and listen and if you piece together the whole interview process, it points out in her saying that Frank was there to do right where somebody was out there to do wrong against the senator. So, yeah. you know, it's it's actually putting it out there that the Punisher is, he might be looked at as a villain, but he's actually a hero to those people because he's protecting. So, right. uh, that to me, that was awesome. Yeah, and that interview between her and Madani at the end where Madani says, oh, you knew he was alive when I came to see you or... Uh, to that effect, and, and Karen's like, well, yeah, I did, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, so she's trying to convince Madani that, that Frank is a, is a hero. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I have a question for you, too. Um, the, so, so, you know, the, he, uh, yeah, the Punisher of Frank Castle, we, we knew he was a hero, and he, he stepped into the action to protect that senator. What, what do you think... Um, what was the reason, do you think, that he, he stuck his neck out to protect, you know, Senator Ori? I mean... Because you know, Karen was there. Because do, you Karen, think, do you think if Karen wasn't there and if he knew that Senator Ori's life was in danger, he would have just let that go, you think? or No, I don't think he would have let it go. I, yeah, I, really I think, think he's... Yeah, I, I, no, I really think that he would have stepped in because of the fact that he knew that something was happening and he had uh-huh. that that hint of it being Lewis that was doing it and uh-huh. somebody was definitely coming after him uh, okay. after the senator so i yeah, really I, think he would have done that just to do right for the reason that all this stuff is pinpointed towards frank making him look like the terrorist and he's not but he's also looking out to get rid of the terrorist that's making him look bad but mm-hmm. it's not in all self-gain. It's all also doing the right thing and yeah. not eliminating the one person that's out there that, you know, is stating a lot of things in public, but trying to protect the virtues that are out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Mark. I think I, I think I think he would have gone even if Karen wasn't there. But him knowing that Karen and the senator were going to be in the same place at the same time. He and knowing how Lewis felt about both of them, I think he realized that was going to be his best opportunity to get to get Lewis. Mm, okay. Yeah, it was amplified definitely by Karen being there. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Cool. Who's next? <laughs> uh, number one. Oh, we're number one. Okay. We're number one. Um, so. uh, we all got our number twos out there. I think yes. so. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Okay. So my number one is uh, betrayal. You know the the theme of betrayal in the whole series, and how it kind of culminates in episode ten. Um, the 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 prime motivation, like the the if betrayal was a character, you know, like a, a, a living character, he he definitely would have been the antagonist of this whole series because. Um, you know, the prime reason why Frank is who he is now is because he was betrayed by his unit and, you know, his old commanders and his, you know, his friend Billy. And, uh, but there's so many layers of betrayal in the whole series that just kind of comes to light now and in, in this episode. Um, we talked a little bit 
before about how Billy is finally exposed to Madani, you know, that betrayal there. Um, but also we see, I don't know if I can say a parallel in, um, in Lewis, but Lewis's prime motivation or, or what kind of drove him over the edge was his betrayal that he felt from uh, society as a whole. You know, like he, he I, I can't remember if he served in Afghanistan or Iraq, but essentially when he came back um, after the war, he came back to, he felt a lot of the emptiness that, you know, the Vietnam vets felt you know, classically in, in, in their era as well. And so he felt that betrayal and that pushed him over the edge to, you know, strike back against, um, uh, against Senator Ori and, and Karen Page and, and that. And so all those levels of betrayal, you know, how Billy betrayed Madonna and, um, how Billy has betrayed Frank, you know, Lewis, what, who I just mentioned, um, we don't see micro in this episode, but he, you know, betrayal was the big motivator as far as, you know, how, how he got involved too. So, um, yeah, betrayal is, is, you know, just, a a big antagonist for this whole series. And yeah, the, uh, um, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, Thor and Ragnarok, because when Thor was saying, like, yeah, we should form a team, you know, we'll call ourselves the Revengers, you know, <laughs> maybe yeah. that's, that's what Frank Castle should have yeah. named himself in his team, you know, the Revengers, because <laughs> we're getting revenge on people. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. yeah. yeah I like that. And really, if you even go back to the beginning of this episode, um, when Madonna's boss, is that her father? He really acts he, like he's, he's a father figure. He's a okay. father figure, yeah, okay. and, and he seems like a very true father figure as well. Which um, is cool. She's talking to him, and, and he almost feels betrayed because of the fake uh, operation that she ran. And then she yeah. explains to him that, well, there was a bug in my office, and I didn't know who was and, – and, and he's like, well, we could have elevated it to a higher authority. And she's like, well, we know what happened the last time, and yeah. that's almost the exact same – conversation that frank and micro had in the previous episode when micro said well, we can just send a video to somebody and frank goes well we know how well that worked last time yeah. you know so uh so yeah i like that that betrayal is a big uh a big part of this uh this whole season really yeah that's true because madani wasn't only betrayed by billy but also she was betrayed by her own homeland command structure you know yeah. Um, and yeah, the the people up top who were greedy and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, guess that's number... why this was called Virtues of the Vicious. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my number one is uh, is the poem that we hear Lewis. The last, I guess, it's actually the last two lines. It's a it's a poem by Rudyard Kipling called "The Young British Soldier," and that's the the poem that he's reciting there at the end, and that he kind of has as a mantra. Throughout this whole episode, the whole wait, wait, like a good soldier, you know, um, oh. and, and I really thought he, he played that really well. And when he gets into that freezer and you see him trying to reconnect that wire and I felt like Frank was trying to talk him out of it, trying to get him not to do that. But Karen knows this guy is over the edge. He's going to blow himself up. We need to get out of here. And so we have that moment when Frank realizes that and Karen has now come back to try to help him. Um, and he, you know, they just barely get missed by that door when the explosion happens. 
And it just that whole that whole thing with uh, that, like I said, that mantra that that he keeps repeating through the episode uh, was was very interesting because I know um, we ha- we have those things whether you're whether you're uh, whatever your job is you're going to have things that you repeat that you do all the time and mm-hmm. and it almost seems that that was what was drilled into him was these were things that you do all the time you're going to wait you're going to you know get support. You're going to hold on to your gun, hold on to your sword, your bayonet, whatever. You're going to hold on to it. Um, and so I, I really I really kind of liked that whole thing. Yeah. So. Your number one? My number one? Mark? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is a little out of sequence, and it's a little bit different. Uh, uh, Karen's portrayal in the episode. She was stronger and trusting with Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty much uh, segues back to uh, what we were talking about, the trust and the uh, relationship that she has with Frank. And the fact that the character has grown so much all the way from Daredevil to now. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the character is actually in other uh, Netflix shows as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does show up. Uh, okay. But uh, and I'm sure that's eventually going to happen even more so because between uh, Deborah Ann Walls and uh, Rosaria Dawson's characters are concerned, they're constantly revolving around each other within this universe. Uh, yeah. And I and I I praise Deborah Ann Wall for doing what she's been doing because she came from a long way from when I first saw her in True Blood all the way to mm-hmm. now. And her acting mm. chops are perfect. She, mm. from when I saw her then in True Blood, she was playing a teenager that just wanted to be a vampire at at some <laughs> point, and then you know uh-huh. being changed, and then that turning, and then eventually going into this series, uh, well, in Daredevil, and then playing the meek character that trusts Matt Murdock, and then eventually having a relationship with him, and then in in the within all that time, within all these shows, she winds up becoming her own and a strong character. So she's building a big character in this universe, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like Rosario Dawson. Uh, If you look at Rosario Dawson's career, she's been in a ton of things. Uh, Yeah. uh, Definitely a lot of comic book stuff between Sin City (laughs) and doing stuff on uh, in cartoons, doing voiceovers, especially Mm -hmm. Batman Lego. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mind you, they're giving a, a lot of credit to these women, and thank God they're becoming more prominent as far as being something of a strong nature. And I'm I'm glad for this. Uh, yeah, I really do like Karen Page's character within this series as well as Daredevils. I'm I'm hoping she becomes a little bit more of a strong point in the next Daredevil, and then hopefully sneak in to the next uh, Luke Cage one. But uh, yeah. we won't know that until uh, I, I think the fall uh, for for Luke Cage. So um, okay, we already, we already got uh, Jessica Jones, and that came out, and that dropped for the new season, and that's oh, did it ever. drop already? Yeah, it yeah. dropped already. Okay. I already watched it. I have to do a rewatch. <laughs> uh, but honestly, uh, she wasn't in it. But the thing is, is that. It added more character to the actual Jessica Jones, but it's, in my opinion, it's slow going Jessica Jones season two, but by episode four, between four and six, 
he actually picks up and you start to see things piecing together. And a lot of these writers on these Netflix shows are doing awesome. Honestly, mm. this is far better than what they're doing on regular syndicated TV, you know. It's like, you know, except for the CW. That that you know, those superhero <laughs> shows to me are very uh they're they're great. Uh mm. as far as Agents of Shield, they're doing okay, but it didn't really captivate me. But mm-hmm. uh I I think uh, it's all within the writing. And uh hopefully they all come together. <laughs> you know, my my feeling is I really want to see some sort of DC Marvel clash or mix up come together sometime soon. But yeah. uh and, until that time we we're subjected to this and my feeling is I'm I'm a I'm a great fan of the Netflix series from Marvel. Uh, I'm not sure where the app process is going to go uh with Disney and all this stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of this content within it. Uh the CW is continuing to prove me really happy you know i'm really happy with the 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 outcome you know er, every okay. story is really good between flash uh legends of tomorrow and all those all those shows but uh there's only so much tv and so much that we could actually consume but uh <laughs> netflix is definitely hitting the mark as far as when it comes to the marvel shows that's cool yeah i can i agree i agree i think it's gonna be interesting to see going forward like you said, with the the Disney with Disney acquiring the Marvel stuff, and if there's those two universes, the MCU and the Netflix MCU, if those are ever going to come together, um, I don't know. It's uh, it seems like right now there's no plans for it that they're going to keep them separate entities, basically. And uh, I think they're they're missing out. I think it'd be good to see some of these people on the big the big screen. So yeah, Kevin Feige's holding things separately, but honestly, it's actually working in the long run. They're mm. keeping. Uh, if you look at the Netflix series, they're all kept within that small venue of uh, you know New York. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and I've well, been except to all for those the- places. So you know, to me, it's like uh, you know. You, yeah, you, I've been to Hell's Kitchen. I I've been on Staten Island. I uh, live there. <laughs> and then yeah, well, uh, and except for all the destruction that's been wrought, you know, yeah. from the Avengers that we haven't seen in the Netflix universe. <laughs> well, um, they do speak about it. <laughs> yeah, come on, they do speak about the the yeah. incident on on occasion, and they do reference certain people. And uh, in Jessica Jones season two, they actually. There's a kid in there that constantly talks about Captain America. Do you know him? Oh, okay. And things like that. So they do reference everything regarding the MCU as far as the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. So okay. uh, as far as the Netflix own, I, I, I think they're trying to keep it more local. Yeah. Whereas the actual cinematic universe is worldwide. So, right. So, right. you know, it's like I, I don't think they're going to actually do something uh, – which would be pretty cool if we actually saw a small suburb of Wakanda, you know, right? You know, and and see what's going on in that country. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to concentrate that much into it. They're, they're probably going to move on to other things like Cloak and Dagger, or Moon Knight, or who knows. 
I, I would I would love to see a little bit of crossover between the big screen characters and heroes to you know what we're seeing on Netflix. Like it, it would be awesome to see Captain America or Spider Man, you know, show up because in in the comics, for example, the Punisher and Spider Man were were at odds a lot. Yes. It, that would be awesome, you know, if, if there was some sort of crossover where we saw, I don't know, some sort of conflict, or even if it was just an episode, you know, that 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 would be great to see, you know, him or Black Widow or you know Captain America or whatever the Falcon, you know, just cross into these guys' universes just for a little while. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. my feeling would have been more or less uh, have the Netflix people come into the MCU. Yeah, and not, and that's not even. Yeah. Not not even just for like the long run, just for like a cameo. Let's say yeah. if uh, Spider Man was going against uh, Craven, the Hunter, and yeah. talking about that for another movie, uh, it would be great to see the Punisher come in and try to stop Craven for something that he's doing wrong against society that Spider Man is trying to do within his own town. Yeah, and then. Yeah. Yeah, and just like stop for like maybe a scene or two, and right. then, and then just have you know John Bernthal in there, and be like, "Yep, we got it." And yeah. Then, oh, the same thing with Daredevil too. You know, he, he could always stop in at Doctor Strange's house for some <laughs> odd reason. You know, for for like legal issues because he's got this house, and you know. <laughs> who knows who walks yeah. in and all these damages that are going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah, I, I just I just picked up. Uh, I, I started uh, following Despicable Deadpool um, on the comic book, and I just picked up. I haven't read it yet, but uh, he's going to fight Captain America in, uh, uh, in this, cool. this this issue that I just picked up today. And uh, I just I'm just kind of starting to dip my toe back into the comics, but uh, I I don't know uh, it's going to be tough because like you got to just decide to pick a couple of books I think and just read those and not worry about the rest of them because there's like four Deadpool books <laughs> yeah wow. Deadpool and Spider Man <laughs> and then Deadpool himself and. Yeah, that's a ton. <laughs> there's like Old Man Logan versus Deadpool, and then there's Old Man Logan, and then there's I'm just browsing through the the stacks today, going, oh, <laughs> did I make a mistake? I did pick up uh, Oblivion Song though. Did have you had a chance to pick that up and read it yet, Mark? I picked it up. Did I read it? Hell no. I haven't had much really much time with everything that's been going on around right. my house and family and friends. Uh, but you know, uh, it is a sit down for me this weekend. And uh, I actually asked Robert Kirkman uh, via Twitter if he would actually do an interview, but obviously I got no reply. Right. Uh, uh. I think it's my last name. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't believe that it's actually your last name. You gotta, you gotta find that uncle or that cousin who's, who's yeah, the connection, the connection there, and try <laughs> yeah. to see if you can get through, uh, get through that way. Um, it's, it's okay. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's got a few little issues. That uh, I'm hoping will will work themselves out. Um, I, I finished reading it earlier today and haven't uh, gone back to read it again yet. But uh, it's a it's a cool little storyline. Um, the basic plot, if you if you haven't known you didn't know yet, is uh, um, basically something happened that caused several hundred thousand people to just disappear into like another dimension. 
in which they call Oblivion. And the protagonist of the comic book is able to travel to with a with a he's got a belt and he's got some darts that he can transport people to and from this dimension. So he several years ago, I think they said ten years before, had been going to this dimension and finding people and bringing them back. And then at some point the funding ran out, and so now where we're at in the comic book is where he's trying to still go to that dimension with limited funding and try to get the funding back. So, uh, oh. and that's yeah. uh, that's the basic premise is that he's trying to to go to this oblivion dimension and and find any people. And it's a basic, it's your basic post-apocalyptic monsters roaming the uh, the surface of the earth or the dimension, whatever it is. Uh, I think they. One panel, he says, it's it's not very big, the area that they're searching, or it's not like an entire Earth size. Uh, yeah, it's a state it's, size. Uh, yeah. Philadelphia. Right. So so it's a big big section for one guy to search, but it, it's it's pretty good. And uh, uh, I picked up the wrong run of Moon Knight. I picked up the 2017 run of Moon Knight. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm trying to get the current run of Moon Knight <clears throat> Uh, from my local comic book shop, but they haven't uh, haven't got anything in yet, so I don't know mm. what's what's going on there. But uh, uh, what comic books are you reading, Mark? Are you keeping uh, up with anything? I know uh, you've been yeah, bit- yeah. Well, oddly enough, it's like I'm um, big Iron Maiden fan, so I've been <clears throat> keeping up with the actual Iron Maiden comic book that's been out. Oh, by <laughs> heavy cool. metal comics. So, uh, you know, my, I'm a big heavy metal fan so and iron maiden is number one on my list of bands that i loved as a kid and still and uh you know creating eddie as an actual uh comic book character and him going around being some sort of <laughs> anti-hero as it were uh mm. i i think it's pretty cool i think it's fun it's based on the actual game that they put out and uh the artwork i love the story not so much but <clears throat> I, I enjoy it Cool. Do you, uh, Abelino? Do you follow the Walking Dead comic book or any comic books at all? Not anymore. No, I um, years ago I read maybe the first couple of volume compendiums of The Walking Dead. Um, but uh, and when I was a teenager, actually no, not teenager. When, probably when I was in, up until my mid to late twenties, I was um, still heavy into comic books and you know still collecting titles like Punisher and. Incredible Hulk and things like that, but not so, so probably not for the last two decades. Um, yeah, that's yeah, just, that's the same <laughs> with me. I've just yeah. gotten back into it. I was a big image guy uh, back in the the nineties and the in the eighties. I wasn't. I didn't like following the Marvel and DC stuff because there were just too many of yeah. them. Um, but uh, <laughs> image image had some really good. Dark Horse had some good uh, standalone characters that were fun to. To collect, I think I still got a few boxes of those here in my apartment. Uh, I've got cool. a trunk at my brother's house that's got a bunch of old comics in it that someday I'm going to have to drag out and see if I can do anything with them. So yeah, well, they're all <laughs> worth something at this point. Yeah, so sooner or later. So. But, uh, you know, the only thing I could see in comic that's been going on lately, they've actually been filming Shazam, and I saw some of the photos on set, and I'm not happy. <laughs> No, who's 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 Shazam? Who's going to be? Who's the actor that's going to be Shazam? Is it Wonder Man? What's the name of his the character? His name is not Shazam. Shazam is what he says, right? No, no, no. It's actual Shazam. They actually oh, yeah. mention it as Shazam. Because I, I just grew up 
calling him Captain Marvel, you know. Like, Captain uh, Marvel, yeah, that's what yeah. I always called him, yeah. But I think they changed it because of, you know, copyright reasons or whatever. Oh, they did, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they're actually doing um, Captain Marvel, and it's really Miss Marvel for uh, Marvel, the actual Marvel okay. comic movie ah. series. Let me see. Uh, I have IMDb up, and it's supposed to be coming out in 2019. Mm. And uh, they have the pre It's Zachary Levi oh, Zachary as... Levi. Chuck? Yeah. yeah. As uh, Shazam. That's what and that's actually what they are. That is what they're calling him in this one. But yeah, in the original '70s one, he would say the word Shazam, and that's what turned him into Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, the Captain guess... Marvel uh, or Shazam Isis Hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, Shazam Isis Hour. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but oddly enough, they do have Isis on uh, the Legends of Tomorrow. Hmm. On the Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. On CW. Okay. So ah, the Legends okay. have has Isis, but they don't refer to her as Isis. <laughs> but they had a nod back to the original uh T V show from Saturday morning from what was it in the seventies. And yeah. uh they had her wear the uh the costume. Because okay. it was a Halloween episode, and she had the uh, little uh, pendant that she wore nice. too. That too. <laughs> okay. So to me, that 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 brought out the little kid in me when I saw that episode. <laughs> so it was kind of cartoony, but you know, it made sense. Uh, but I, I don't think they would ever do an actual movie about ISIS because of yeah. everything that, with the name and everything else that's going on in society now. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, with uh, Shazam, I'm like, oh my god, br- just bring me Black Adam already. <laughs> it, 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 the the on screen, um, like the behind the scenes scene uh, shots that I've been seeing, they kind of look cheesy. Nah, uh, I just don't want to see it as uh, a comedy. Yeah, I I thought that um, Dwayne Johnson was going to be playing uh, Black Adam in that movie, but maybe I'm wrong. No, nah, they don't have him listed as uh, a character in it. Okay. Uh, I, would, I would love to see. Uh, hopefully it leads into something, but uh, the DCU at this point, they're not sure of what they're doing. They're just coming out with these different characters uh, with uh, the way Justice League fell about, what, this mm. past what winter? It was in mm-hmm. December that it came out or something. Yeah, uh, a lot of people were not happy with it. Mm. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it gave some action, gave some humor, but uh, you had two directors, you had two different views. Uh, I enjoyed it just as a film, and mm. honestly, it's like I grew up with Super Friends, so mm. I, I, you know, the first thing I thought was like, "Oh, great, I get to see all them all except for Hal Jordan." You know, <laughs> I didn't get to see Green Lantern, and that was the only drawback. But they do oh, mention yeah. the lanterns. Uh, yeah, you know, they're not going to bring out Ryan Reynolds in like, like you know that weird green outfit again. And no, I think he's done <laughs> <Yeah>. with that. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think Deadpool's got him, got him firmly in train. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, like all you listeners out there, uh, 
the way I know Evelino and a, the way I know Steve is through uh, Jason Cabasi's Walking Dead cast. Uh, he has a Patreon, and uh, if you're a listener to that, please pledge. Please be part of this community. Uh, we're over 100 and going and going strong. We have fun. So this is something that we all do amongst ourselves in our own little community. If you want to be part of that and be involved with that, I encourage you to listen to the Walking Dead cast, which can be found through iTunes or uh, Stitcher or uh, there's a TV Time app. And so, as they said, if you heard this week's podcast, they are now the official TV Time podcast app for mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. Awesome. So uh, I, I encourage every one of you listeners out there to actually listen to that as well. If you feel the need that you want to contribute and be part of that community, you can do so. I think uh, minimum payment is $10. Uh, there are other tiers that you could go. Uh, depends on how much you want to contribute, but to be part of the actual community, I believe the beginning is at $10. $10. But, uh, you know, I I open myself up to anybody else who wants to listen to other podcasts. Please continue to listen. If you are a listener of the Next Level uh, Podcast Network uh, that has been back, and we have DC Primetime, and there's a few others out there, and I'm pretty sure if you've jumped onto the Next Level Podcast uh, website, you could actually see those other podcasts. Dive into those. Figure out what you like. Everybody has a difference in thought and or preferences of what they listen to and how they listen to. I'm sure there's a lot of other podcasts that, you know, because there's millions of them. Uh, choose what you want to listen to and uh, contribute. Uh, just like here, I, I've checked my email for <laughs> Panels to Pixels uh, podcast for Gmail, and I've not seen anybody send anything in. So uh, if you feel free and you want to, go to our Facebook page, Panels to Pixels, or email us at Panels to Pixels. Uh, that's P A N E L S T O. P-I-X-E-L-S-1, the number one, at gmail.com. And then, uh, you know, contribute your feedback. We'll read it. We'll gladly read it. We have not received any. So, but if you guys want to, please do so. Or even comment on the actual Facebook page. Uh, uh, I I know I boosted a lot of things uh, with Kevin Smith. I'm glad that he is well. Uh, he had his heart attack, and, uh, um, you know, that was one of the few people that was out there in this world that got me into the idea of doing podcasting, as well as Jason and Karen. Uh, so Jason Kabasi and Karen Morve, uh listen to them. Uh, listen to Kevin Smith, Chris Hardwick, uh, and a few others that are out there. Uh, but we all, you know, everybody has a voice, and it depends on who you want to listen to and how entertained you are. Uh, plus, you know, everybody wants a difference of opinion of what they're watching, they're listening to. It could be music, it could be TV, it could be movies, anything. So, uh, if you guys out there are interested, you're more than welcome. All you have to do is, uh, follow us on Facebook, comment, uh, and that's all it is. Um, you know, we do love people. If you have some sort of rating you want to do, we're on iTunes, 
Uh, I'm not sure if we're on Stitcher yet, but uh, you can follow us uh, through those vehicles or directly through the Next Level Podcast Network page. So um, I, I encourage you, all you out there, actually call in, write in, do whatever you need to. Um, I'll be more than willing to have you guys, you know, have your words spoken on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, cool. So um, next episode will probably be episode eleven, and we're we're narrowing it down, aren't we, Steve? Yeah, thirteen episodes this season, so we're we're getting close. We're ramping up to the end. Um, I don't have the name of episode eleven in front of me uh, right now, but it's uh, I'm sure it's a good one. <laughs> um, there's there's got to be some aftermath with uh, um, Lewis's death, obviously, and um, uh, this bomb explosion. Let's see. The next one is called Danger Close, according to imdb so we're ramping up we're getting very close three episodes left and uh and then we're going to go into jessica jones and i'm uh i i'm it's hard for me not to binge jessica jones but i'm going to go in cold knowing nothing about it and uh whatever um however many episodes we decide to do for season one at a time i'm, I'm just going to watch those and then however we decide to do uh season two i'm going to go in uh cold on those and and uh, see how it is well, cool. uh, my feeling is doing two at a time. So we'll do episode one and two as one podcast, and then we'll go three, four. So my my feeling is that will go by a little bit quicker, a little bit easier, and I'm taking a little bit of a page from Mr. Jason Kabasi's point for when he's doing Westworld. Right. A lot of people have already watched Jessica Jones, so yeah. uh, and they've already listened to other podcasts. So we'll do season one that way. And then we'll jump into season two. We could do it individually or we could do it the same way. Honestly, uh, the season two, it took me about four to six episodes to get into. You have to really sit and watch and grasp and gather all the content. The first one goes by swimmingly and you got a lot there. So uh, uh, all you guys out there, if you have any input and thoughts on Jessica Jones, feel free to give in and send that information in. Uh, I will have, Steve and I will be on, anybody else that wants to jump in, just like you, Avelino, you're more than welcome to if you're interested cool. in that. Yeah. Uh, I, I really welcome anybody else that wants to have a viewer point, uh, that, that want to say anything that they want about these episodes. Uh, I do listen to Westworld cast and, uh, Ash versus, uh, the Evil Dead cast. And Love it. Those, all those stuff. Those are awesome. And uh, I, I think uh, Jason did something recently that was a flub on yours. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. I haven't heard it yet, but uh, I guess I, I, I must have sent my email in. And he said I sent it to the right email address, but I, was, I sent in a, a quick review. Because the way they do Ash versus Evil Dead is uh, – the Ash versus Evil Dead cast is they, they have the episodes already – so they're only watching them one at a time, but they're actually recording their podcasts and dropping them the day that the episode airs. So yes. the feedback is always for the previous episode that, that you hear. And so I'd sent in some feedback, and I guess he didn't, oh, realize, yeah. he didn't realize it was for Ash, and he played it on uh, the Walking Dead cast. 
uh, and he went ahead and, and left it in. So uh, I haven't heard it yet. I'm I'm almost done with that uh, that podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm it's always fun to to hear my own voice. They get a lot of they get a lot of input in that Walking Dead cast. They don't I don't think they get quite as much for the Ash versus Evil Dead cast. So it's kind of easier to get uh, content in it on that one. But uh, that Walking Dead cast, they get. Whew, they get a lot. I I, <laughs> yeah. I I don't envy them sorting through all those comments and emails and voicemails and Facebook posts and everything. So they do a good job. Yeah, well, they that's got a what big following. for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I actually Westworld doesn't have much as well, and I had uh, put in a couple of times, and I really love Westworld, and I really would like to tap David's brain. Because uh, he and I love the original series, so mm. yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. People just go out there, listen. Uh, if you have those interests, pursue them. You know, there are, there are other podcasts out there. I'm not saying just listen to mine, just listen to this one or that one. Uh, yeah, you know, feel free. Uh, I've gone through a lot of Walking Dead uh, podcasts before I actually stumbled on to Jason and Karen, and mm. that. They are the ones that actually got me attracted to listening to more podcasts other than Chris Hardwick and Kevin Smith. Yeah. And, and, and uh, eventually I wound up listening to uh, Brian Malosh, and now I'm on the Walking Dead talk-through as well on his, which is on Golden Spiral Media. So uh, if you guys want to hear me and my voice on that, my opinions, it's pretty funny. And uh, we, we have a good time. Uh, Brian and I actually have a good rapport. We're good friends on uh, through our Zed Heads uh, <laughs> Patreon page. So we've known each other for over a year, and it's pretty awesome, and it's going well. I think uh, if you listen to the most recent one, we're good. Uh, cool. We're having a good time. Yeah, it was good. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening. Feel free to tune in to more. Uh, we'll be back again with another Netflix Punisher Thank you, Avelino, for showing up, and uh, we want to hear you again, so hopefully you can come on again. Good, Uh, good, I will. And uh, Steve, thank you. As per usual, you've been the consummate co-host that I've been looking for, and we have. (laughs) Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure, sir. (laughs) So uh, we're going to say good night, and thank you. All right, thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody.